G'day and welcome to The Grass is Greener. My name is Tim Henry. I'm a financial advisor in Melbourne. And every week, my guests and I dissect your everyday challenges. We'll get you clearer on your goals and give you financial tips to make it happen. If this is your first time tuning in to The Grass is Greener, make sure you subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll automatically receive each episode as soon as it's released. G'day, how are you going? Hopefully, you're great. We are kicking off episode three today in relation to the start of the financial year and we are focused today on helping you get started on your investment journey. We've already covered off in episode one, planning your super contributions for the year with Natalia Smith. Fantastic episode. Episode two, last week, we chatted to Angus Woods about how to find the right financial advisor. This week, we've got an awesome guest, Genevieve Frost. And Jen runs her own podcast. She has her own podcast called The Reality Check. And I think um, from memory, it is making the complex simple. She really attacks, you know, complex financial uh, things and discusses them and brings them to life for her listeners. She's also, however, a client solutions manager for IWF, which is one of Australia's biggest, uh, I think they are the biggest investment platform. She's got a lot of knowledge about investing. One of the reasons why we want to help you get started on this investment journey is investing is has reached unprecedented levels with new entrants. It's been a significant increase in new accounts opened for investing purposes in this year of 2021. It's mainly coming from the millennial age group and there's a demand that is tipped to keep increasing. The next 12 months, my reliable source, the Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape, says there's 900,000 new accounts expected to be open in the next 12 months and mainly going to be coming from this millennials age group. Jen and I wanted to break down some of the things that hold people back sometimes from investing. So we broke down some myths and we broke down some barriers there. That was a great chat. We talked about the different types of investments that you can you can look at and consider and that's all the way from your complex investments that you might need to have knowledge about all the way to you know things that are pretty much run for you in a really automated sense. And most importantly, we went through some things you really need to consider and have a strong opinion on before you launch into investing. I know you'll get a lot out of this next half an hour. Always a great chat with Jen when she stops by and I'll see you on the other side. If you're looking for a community of like-minded people who are going on a journey similar to you, then I invite you to join the Grass is Greener Facebook group where you can connect, share and learn from other people just like you. Today I'm here with my good mate, Jen Frost. Now, Jen is a client solutions manager she says she doesn't like that um, <laughs> title with IWF in uh, superannuation and investments and also she's a superstar on her own podcast the reality check how are you Jen I am very well Tim thank you so much for having me on your show oh I'm, I'm excited to have you on as a guest I mean it is good sometimes when we're we're not, when we're doing it together because um, we share the load with asking the questions <laughs> or talking, but you're going to get to do a lot of talking today and we're going to chat all about, you know, what are the um, some of the barriers that people might feel when they're wanting to get started investing? I mean, you probably hear from people all the time that they say, oh, you know, I probably should make my money work harder, but I'm not quite sure where to start. So that's going to be the theme of the show. But before we get into that, uh, I would love you to just tell our listeners a little bit about Jen Frost, both personally and professionally. 
Well, thank you so much, Tim. And as you said, it's lovely to be here and, and almost a bit scary that I'm I'm the one being questioned today. So I'll, <laughs> I'll try very hard not to take over and start questioning you. No, go for it. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I, I work as a client solutions manager in the superannuation and investment space at IOOF. So working closely with advisors and, and working all across our various superannuation and investment products and platforms. Um, and I, I've always worked in finance, Tim. I started way back at the beginning of my career in financial advice, um, spent some time in the funds management side, particularly in fixed income over in the UK, um, which I loved. And I still have quite a passion for fixed income. Anyone who knows me will know that I'll, I'll always, at, over over a glass of wine, attempt to pervade the, the great beauty of, of fixed yeah. income investing. Well, did, what, what, did one of your... Um... Real passions come from fixed income as well? Well, that is a very true story and, and a beautiful segue into my personal life. Yes, I, I met my beautiful um, English husband working together um, in, in funds management over in the UK and we've been married 10 years this year. We've got uh, two beautiful little girls. I've got Lottie, who's nine, and, and little Millie, who's six. So um, my life is just beautifully enriched by these two incredible little girls yeah. who keep me keep me busy and keep me, <laughs> I, I was going to say sane, insane, sane, you know, both things. But they certainly remind me of, of what's really important, Tim, as I know yeah, your beautiful cool. daughter does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then... What about your talk? Tell us a little bit about um, the reality check story as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, you and I have spoken about this a lot. We, we share, we, you and I came together over such a shared passion. It, it became abundantly clear to me as we sort of went into this pandemic last year, but, but in the lead up to that as well, that there are so many people out there that just don't don't really understand their own financial position, don't really understand the lingo, the terminology, this huge, sometimes terrifying market that is the financial landscape. And what's worse is they don't really know who to ask and they don't really know who to trust. And we live in this blessed time when there is so much information online. There are so many people podcasting. There's so many people doing blogs. There's so many people delivering content. But how do you find the right one for you, and how do you how do you decode that content and apply it to your own circumstances? So, um, yeah, last sort of mid last year, I started the Reality Check podcast and and do quite a bit in terms of um, social media and and you know run sort of sessions in in the community just to kind of help decode this stuff, which is exactly yeah. why the grass is greener and the Reality Check align beautifully together. Yeah, and no, well, I think. Uh part of the thing is that there's so much information out there in some ways um, but there's a lot of general information and then when you actually speak to your super provider and all that sort of thing they'll give you really general stuff and then they'll say oh no we can't tell you anymore you need to go get your own advice Um, so that leads us into um, our topic of today you know really wanting to help people who might be wanting to get started in investing. And it's part of our um, start of financial year series. Um, you know, people thinking about what's the next 12 months. Have I said before, I wouldn't mind starting investing and another year goes by and I still haven't started doing it. So let's just start with talking about investing in general. Um, and, and it's come a long way, hasn't it, from if you went back that 10 years, um, probably with technology, mm. you probably couldn't have really done it without a financial professional helping you. But in these days with technology, you really can. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. And I think I'll go back to sort of something you mentioned then. I think I love this start of financial year aspect. And, you know, I've been speaking to some some people around me about new financial year resolutions. And we know what they're like in, in sort of outside of the financial world. We yeah. set these new year's resolutions. Do we actually stick to them? You know, do we actually keep going with them through the year? And this this end of financial year, start of financial year moment is a great time to go, what are my goals? What do I want to achieve this year financially? As you said, what have I been putting off for some time? Yeah. And I think, I think there's lots of people, you know, people who might be listening today who um, last year's pandemic 
may have actually put you in quite a good financial position. And and I understand there's plenty in the community, you know, small business owners and so many families struggling. But yeah. for others, their their incoming cash flow wasn't impacted, yet their expenditure decreased. You know, we're at yeah, home and hard. we're not spending that extra money. And all of a sudden you look at your bank account and you go, oh, hold on. <laughs> That's right. It's a harsh reality of the pod uh, of the um, pandemic, isn't it? That um, you're either probably in one or the other camp. You know, you're you're either better off, or possibly, or you know, a lot worse off. Yeah, exactly Um, right. So I sort of want to. Could we start with breaking down a few myths? Because I hear this from people, and you might say the same, Jim, when you speak to your friends or, or whatever. Um, what are some of the reasons why people don't start investing? Um, one of the things I think I hear a lot is, do I need to have thousands of dollars to start investing? Yeah, a hugely common misconception. I think, as you said, I think that technology piece in in the environment today is really critical in, in this particular conversation. If we look at let's go back to fixed income, my spiritual home. And and there's certainly a lot of particularly direct fixed income in the Australian market. The minimum investment is $250,000. Yeah. You know, so, and, and we see that, Tim, with some managed funds, that if, an, yeah. if a client goes through an advisor like you, they can access it. But if they go directly, the minimum buy-in is really significant. You know, there's not that many of us out there, unfortunately, no. <laughs> that have a $250,000 startup. So so that can make it a bit, feel like a bit of a barrier. But in today's market, there are plenty of options to start your investment journey with just a couple of dollars. And yeah, and I think absolutely. that really is one of the most fundamental parts of in, of the investment journey that we really need to drive home for our for our for your listeners today is every little every little dollar counts. And if you're starting the investment journey, a lot of it is about making that commitment, starting yeah. to form that habit, getting used to that behavior of allocating a certain amount to that investment pool. And one of the terms we hear a little bit um, thrown around today is micro-investing, Yeah, which is a fantastic way to start really, really small and just get on your journey to investing. Well, tell us a little bit about that. So micro-investing is essentially just using little bits of spare change and starting to put them into an investment portfolio. There's yep. a couple of different providers in the Australian market now, and this space is growing. So probably um, perhaps some of the most famous are Rays and Spaceship. Yep. And, and we're yep. certainly not here to recommend any products. Jump online, have a, have a search around, see what's around. But they're two of the most famous, and they're famous because a lot of people have started to invest that way. And, yep. and there's a couple of different ways that micro-investing can work. You can choose to contribute little bits of money. You've got an app on your phone. It's super easy. I want to put $6 in. I want to put $10 in. I want to put $25 this week. Oh, God, this week's been a good one. I didn't go out. I've got a couple of hundred. The other way you can do it is with top-ups. Yeah, the roundup. The roundup, exactly right. So I've gone and spent um, $16.95 on, I don't know what it might be, a pair of, new pair of headphones because that's what I probably need. Yeah. <laughs> I've spent sixteen ninety five, so I've got $3.05 remaining from to top that up to $20. I'm going I'm to send that automatically into my micro-investing account. I'm not even thinking about it. It's just yes. topping up. Well, you know what the interesting thing, so I don't mind saying, and again, we, we're, we're, we can't recommend anything. No. And there's costs. Uh, underlying costs that within some of these funds and, and roundup funds and that sort of thing. But I do use Raise and I, I, I've used it for a number of years, but I mainly use it for spending money for holidays. And um, it's really good. So I use the roundup and, and what actually happens is um, in that, the way that I've got it set up, it just rounds up to the nearest dollar. So if you spent $3.50 on a coffee, it'll add that 50 cents. And it does that on all the transactions on your in your bank account for the week, and it grabs the roundup. Normally, for me, it ends up being about twenty to thirty dollars a week that gets um, put in there. And so they just do that automatically. You don't have to do anything. 
you know what the irony is with this, Jen, which I reckon is cool? Tell me. Is the more you're spending, well, the more transactions you're doing, the more it's taking. So it's like it's a little bit of a... <laughs> don't okay, spend well, yeah, too much, so you don't invest too much. You're going hard this week on the spending, but they're, they're taking a few more nibbles out as well. So, um, yeah, and the great thing is I, I probably find when at the end of the year when we go on our big holiday at Christmas time, I've got a couple of grand in there and that just becomes the spending money for the holidays, which is great. And I think it goes back to a lot of, I, I guess, the mindset around our financial positions and whether this is investing or saving or trying to build that emergency yeah. fund or contribute to your um, superannuation or pay off your mortgage or whatever financial goal you've got. It's about finding ways to to um, unintentionally, you know, to automatically support that goal. So yeah. micro-investing, as you said, roundups, fantastic way of doing it. I'm not even thinking about it. I've set it up and it just does it. Direct debits are the old school, the old yeah. school roundup, you know, and, and again, often people come to me and say, I can't invest, I don't have enough money. But there are many, many different vehicles out there, many different ways of investing that often you could set up a direct debit for as little as $10 a month. Yeah, and I think well, going back to the initial question, do I need to have thousands of dollars to start investing? I think sometimes we hear, well, what's the point of just putting 10 bucks in? Um, it, they had that up, is the point. That's time. all yeah, the point. Yeah, that is the point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And if you're doing that regularly and then – you're getting this growth factor through how they're allocating the money. This is where you start to get the growth. Can I go on to the next question now? Um, and that probably leads us in nicely. Uh, I hear this a lot. I don't understand shares or the share market, so I can't really get my head around starting to invest. Yeah, and and it's funny, Tim. It, you know, the Australian market, it, it, the Australian community, the Australian people are, are, are sort of obsessed with two particular things when it comes to investing. And one is the share market. We, we love yep. we love the share market. You know, you love to go yeah. to the good Aussie Barbie and Uncle Tony's like, oh, you know, my BHP billet and shares are, are doing super, super well. And and the second is property. It, there is no doubt that Australians own far more property than any other Western country. You know, it, it isn't yeah. necessarily a sign of wealthiness to own real estate in other parts of the world. In, in Paris, you have a tiny yeah. proportion of the community that own property and it has no yeah. reflection on wealth. We're here in Australia, we're quite attached to it. You've got to own your own home and then you've got to get an investment property. You know, that that's wealth. Yeah. So this has a point back to your story. So how do I invest? I don't understand the share market. That's You don't have to. That's not a gateway to investing. No. It is, however, one of the fundamental decisions, and I, I think there's a couple of sort of, I guess, decisions that I'd like to flag with the audience in this process. Perhaps this is a good one to start with. Do I want to actively invest or, or do I want to passively invest? Do I want to outsource this or do I want to own it? Do I want to DIY? And yeah. And that's a fundamental decision, super personal to everyone, and you can do both if you want to. But yeah. buying shares, investing on the stock market, picking the right share, knowing when to sell, knowing when to buy, knowing the right names, making those decisions to time the market, no one in this industry will tell you that you can do that without knowing anything about the market yeah, that's right, yeah. without spending a fundamentally significant amount of time researching and understanding the background of companies, understanding why certain stocks make more money than others, understanding the structure of a business. Now, I've got I've got great friends, contacts through my work who who really enjoy doing that, who love it. Yeah. You know, so they who, spend they're interested in it and they want to spend a lot of time doing it. Funnily enough, you would think um, it might be a surprise to you as a financial uh, advisor who advises people, yes, we are interested in how different aspects of the investment world perform, but I personally am not interested in cherry-picking different shares and that sort of thing. I'm happy to go into a broad fund where the, the managers are doing all that work so, and yeah, they take that little percentage fee out of the fund to do the work, and and I'm just in getting the growth. 
Let's use an analogy, for example, and this an autopilot is is a great way to think of it. So, do you remember the first time someone told you, Tim, that for a large percentage of a flight, the pilot is on autopilot? Yeah, I, I remember thinking, oh my god, why is he not? Why is he not steering this plane? Like, why is he not hands gripped, like as though he's on? you know, the the greatest highway in the world, like holding well, on to your life. It, I actually think the truth is they're there just in case because the, the plane lands itself. They're just there in case that needs manual intervention. Exactly right. And so if we sort of think about, um, you know, that DIY active involvement with investments versus the passive or, or the outsourcing approach, Am I, Jen Frost, do I want to research the market, understand both individual business um, analytics and, and, and the undertone of an individual business as well as their place in the wider environment? Or do I want to outsource that to fund managers, advisors, a mix of both where I still obviously can have an opinion and have control over how it's invested or where it's invested, but to the vast majority, I'm outsourcing that to someone else whose job it yeah. is is to manage that. And, and I think it's a really key difference. And I, I think, again, let's go back to even at the small balance, you don't have to understand the share market because at the end of the day, and I think perhaps, Tim, if I could lead into perhaps the, for me the really three key questions that before anyone starts this investment journey, they need to ask themselves. Yeah. And this kind of leads on to this, this deciding active versus passive and our involvement in it. And that the first thing is how much money do you have to invest? Yep. How much money do you have? Now, as we said, if that answer is 10 bucks, fine. There's, there, there are options for you to invest starting with $10. If that's 10000 then as you might imagine, your universe opens more as, as, your, um, as the amount you can invest grows. There's no yeah. doubting that. The more money you have, the more vehicles in our market you're going to have to choose from. You might still choose the same one that the, the person at 10 bucks chose, and that's probably a bigger story. But number one, how much money do I have to invest? Number two, how much risk am I willing to take with that money? Yeah. Tim, this is Financial Advice 101. You you live by this, but I think it's fundamental that we all think about it in every aspect of, of investing, which is if I've got $1,000 and I'm going to handpick shares that might might give me a 70% return, there's also equally as high chance that that's going to lose me every cent I have. Yeah, well, of course, a risk and return go hand in hand, as we know. Absolutely. But we all have the, that responsibility when we begin our investment journey to go, how willing am I to lose some of this? On the flip side, and 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 obviously um, a decision that a lot of people make is to hold it in cash. I'm just going to hold it tight in my, in my cash account and not do anything with that. But we know that that doesn't do anything for your money. You know, yeah, it's safe. Growth, very little growth. Yeah, it's safe. Well, in, in such low interest rate environments, Tim, technically it's going backwards. So, you know, it's a very safe environment. You're not going to lose out, but you're certainly not going to grow. So, Again, how much risk are you willing to take? And that's going to strongly influence how you invest. We yes, know, I think, and, and we might even, um, we'll come back, I think, and t touch on that investment risk in a bit more detail because I'd love to run through the specifics of that because I, I think yeah. that for, for a lot of people that is really interesting that they can look at a menu and, and really choose yep. Yep. The, the amount of risk they want to take. Yeah. And then I think the third thing, Tim, that I think is, um, I think, again, it's leading back to some of those barriers for investment is people often feel like, what's my time frame for investing? So someone came to me a few months ago and, and they were saving for a house, this insane Melbourne yeah. property market. They were a first home buyer, realised that that dream probably needs to be put on hold for a couple of years. Yeah. Very, very, um, very uh, intelligently. I don't think that's a word, Tim, but I'll throw it in there for good <laughs> measure. Um, said, I think I should invest it, Jen. I don't think I should just leave it in cash if it's going to be a couple of years. Yeah. Obviously, my risk is quite low because I don't want to lose any of my house deposit. But the biggest question that, again, we need to think of here, Tim, is when I do want it, if I turned around and found a house actually in 18 months' time, can I get access to that? investment yeah. quickly 
and it is really important. Yeah, it's really important. And 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 the answer for our audience is in many cases the answer is yes. In many cases, yes, you can get your money even let's say within a few days. Yep. But but there certainly are investments where that's not the case. You know, in the industry, we use the word liquidity. That is quite simply how quickly can I sell it and get the cash? Yeah. And for different vehicles, that liquidity or that capacity to sell it quickly is different. So we certainly have funds in the market or different investments that might take 10, 20, 30 days to sell. And that's a that's certainly something just to be a little bit um, aware of in your own investment journey. Well, cool. So I think that's great little summary there. We've chatted about some of those myths. Um, You know, we don't need thousands of dollars to invest. There's great options. Micro investing is a great way to start. Yes, you can upgrade that to um, something a bit more tailored to you, probably in the type of work that you do, Jen, with um, IWF. As that as that balance gets bigger, but um, there's a few things that I think you know if people do pluck up the courage to give this a go and they find a vehicle, whether it be micro investing or a managed fund, or they're going to invest in shares or whatever, there's a few things that I am really passionate about, and I know you probably would agree that people just need to be really clear on these things. So the first one of those is your investment purpose and and that what the example you were just going with there is a perfect one i i I quite often have clients that come to see me for the first time they say look we're trying to park some money for we've saved up a house deposit we're probably going to buy one in two years we just don't want to park it somewhere where it can grow so as we talked about before risk and return is, yeah, if you want to access that money in two years, but that just happens to be when there's a downturn, your money might have devalued at the time. So there's a trade-off of, you know, do I want it to go backwards um, and when do I need the money? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as as we said again, it, your journey, your own personal um, investment choices, whether we use the word goals or we use the word whatever, however we want to look at it, yeah. that is going to strongly influence what decisions you make. And yeah. in turn, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're seeking professional advice or, or assistance with it, write them down and write the things that are key to you. If it's fundamentally important that you don't lose more than X, then you need to be acutely aware of the risk involved in the investment choices you are making. You know, and And, and those things are hard. They can be really hard to figure out. Well, I think the thing is, depending on what your goal is, and I'm a big advocate for having different investment accounts or different vehicles for different goals. So, you know, saving for your holiday, that might be as simple as saving in a bank account. Yeah. Saving for your kids' education that's 10 years away, well, investment bonds. probably you could invest into something that's going to be aligned mm. to that long 10-year period, but yeah. you're going to need access to it at that stage. Absolutely. If you're saving for a home, that might be a few years. So when we're looking at the investment purpose, I'm really strong on this that I think I always say to a lot of clients when they come in, you need to have a label nearly on every investment that you have even if that's an investment property what's its long term what's it supposed to give you yeah in your life what what's it giving to your life and i think when people can answer that they're clearer about what they how they're going to invest it and if is that type of investment the right one for them and it also helps them make decisions if there is big booms or or volatility Mm-hmm. crashes. And I think, Tim, um, and, and that also correlates with one of the key things that we see, I see it everywhere, I see it around me, I see it in myself, is comparing me against what someone else is doing. Yeah. Now, when you have made the decision that this particular investment pool is is that home deposit, so it's only a few years and you care greatly about not losing a pile of money on it, then the next time you're hanging out with your mate and they said, geez, it's been a killer year, I've, I, I've earned 42% of my investment portfolio this year, then yeah. don't don't be upset by your 8%. Yeah. 
because your 8% is amazing. You've made 8% on your money yeah. just by having it invested. That is 8% more than you would have made if you'd kept it in cash. Be proud of yourself. Be proud of the decision to invest. Keep going. Don't compare it against someone else's decision. Well, that's right because you've got your plan and someone else has got a different plan based on what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, we never probably compare, well, how much money did you actually have in there? You got 42% or did you have a lot of money in there or or not? And and, and what will happen on that number? Yeah. I actually find people probably exaggerate some of those numbers too, don't you think? Of course they do. (laughs) You've earned 42%, but you've also contributed 25% of that. That that wasn't market made. That's just because you put more cash in. So, yeah, yeah, you've got to be really circumspect about that kind of opinion of other people and, and, yeah. And the next one I'd love to hear your thoughts on because I think they they go hand in hand with having the right purpose and and the right vehicle for that, the emotions that come into investing. If you're just going to start off, yeah, what what are some of the tips around that? Yeah, it's huge. And obviously, at the end of the day, every decision we make comes from a place of our own emotions. It comes from our place of our own bias. So we all know that there's there's a lot in our decision making that is subconscious. It isn't us really kind of taking on everything academically that we've learned and that we know. It's being swayed by a whole pile of other factors. And again, in many ways, this is where there's a good a good story and a good case for that outsourcing piece or perhaps again for that passive investing piece which is when you make that decision to invest you make the decision of your risk parameters you you make the decision of how much you're going to contribute going forward and that can obviously change go up and down constantly but you've made that decision in in that great mindset and then let it roll yeah. You know, as opposed to when you're actively managing it, i.e. buying and selling shares constantly, then every time you're making that decision, every time you are buying, selling, researching, there are so many different emotional factors at play. Yeah. There's time factors. There's the rest of your life. There's everything going on, which can really influence those decisions. So, you know, one of the things that I, I certainly um, – would strongly encourage at the beginning of that investment journey, 10 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 10,000, 100,000, the same process applies, which is sit down and make your decision, act on that decision. That's the tricky part, act on it. I'm ready, I've done my research, go, just jump. And then leave it. You know, don't overanalyze it. Don't keep coming back to it. Don't keep looking. Some days it'll go down, some days it'll go up. Just sit and have faith in your goals and have faith in the decision you make and, and kind of let it roll. Particularly if it's a long term. So I think absolutely the weird thing that happens with emotions, and I use this as an analogy with some with people at times. Um, when we invest in whether it's a share or whether it's a, a, a managed fund or something, when you put money into that, you actually buy a unit or a share of that fund. And when the market goes down, the value of that unit is less. Yeah. So if you're putting a hundred bucks in, you're going to get to buy more units when the market's down. When things are going up, the unit price is going up, and you're getting to buy less units with your money. So when you think of it that way, because uh, I think people would generally. Uh, the emotions tell them when the mark when things are going up. I want to put more money in, even though that means you're buying at a higher price, which is worse. And when the market's going down, I want to put less money in because I'm getting fearful. And yeah. this is where that reverse—it's actually the reverse, isn't it? Yes, it's absolutely. Like you, if you're being consistent, it can actually be an opportunity. You're getting to load a, a bit more money in at the lower price. And Tim, it goes back to why—and and I'm the same as you. I've been passionate about investments my whole life. I. I watch the market. I, I love it. But I am certainly not someone who buys and sells shares regularly because I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I don't know enough about it. I'm not yeah. enough involved in that market on a day-to-day. I have wonderful friends who are, both those who work you know, in the markets and those who don't. But, but that common misconception is massive. Now, think about our own choices and the life choices we make. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at me and my beautiful female friends around me at the moment. It's like, 
you know, there's this really hot brand, this gorgeous brand of activewear. Everyone's wearing it. So, oh, I think I might wear it too. I think, I, you know, and yeah. even better, it's a 50% off sale because you know me, Tim, I would never buy anything full price ever. It's 50% off sale. It's a brand that everyone's wearing and everyone loves. Celebrities endorse it. Give it to me. Now, to, to put that into a share market perspective, it's a household brand name or it's a big business. Every time I turn on Koshi on Sunrise, you know, and they talk about the finance yeah. thing, I can see the graph of that stock going up into the air. You know, it's, it's it, top five ASX or whatever. Yeah. I must own that. Now, yes, that's strong. They, it's there because it's a strong company. It's there because it's strongly performing. It also is expensive. It also may be expensive because it is, right. you know, because it, it is, is at the top. Yeah. Right. And, and again, this we could talk for hours about this because relative value is a huge and, and, and far more complex than I'm obviously making it topic. But, again, if you are, if you are self-directing your investment decisions, do be acutely aware of all the different factors that come into play yeah. in terms of how you make those decisions. Yeah, that's right. I think um, and just think of being consistent. Yeah. There's no substitute for being consistent. Just keep plodding along, putting your 10 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever it is in per month, Absolutely. regardless of what's happening out there. Yeah. Um, the wins happen unexpectedly for everyone. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the so-called experts never really predict when the crashes happen. They never really predict when the booms happen. And they come out of the blue. So for the people that are consistent, they get the benefit of that. That's absolutely um, right, Tim. It's it's it. The key thing here: get started, just do it. You know, if you're listening yeah. to this today, just do it. Just just pick. Just, exactly. Just get in there. Get into the market because that's the only way you're going to make anything is if you actually start. Yeah. And then, as you said, you know, particularly where you're not talking about a, a short term goal, but for a long term goal, just just sit and what you know, ride the waves. It's going to go up and down. You just need to keep committing to it, investing yeah. that little bit, and it's and 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 but overall it goes up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, that leads us into just costs. I'd love just to quickly, and we've done this in a few episodes, talked about costs, but I think it's always important for people to understand mm. that there are costs for every investment, everything, and quite often those costs aren't really that. Um, it's not that they're not transparent, but they're un, they're underneath, if you like. Correct. Um, can you just give us a bit of a run through on on the costs? Yeah, and and look, at the end of the day, no one's getting anything for free. You know, run on that philosophy. That yeah. No one's getting anything for free. So whether that's brokerage costs when you're doing that direct share component. Yep. When we're looking at any sort of platform, and we've mentioned micro-investing a few times, but I'd, I'd really like to put a few other words into that that are things like robo-investing, which can be a fantastic way of accessing vehicles like um, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Yep. You know, there's plenty of these sorts of platforms out there for that mid-range costs. Now, and, and then when we go up into the space that often you would access through um, a financial planner, and that's where we have managed funds on investment yeah. platforms similar to what I work in, in in the IOOF space. Now, in all of these cases, there are fees and charges applicable. Yeah. And probably the two key areas that I always try and point people just to pay attention to is administration fees yep. versus investment costs. They, they tend to both apply depending on the, the platform yeah, and the course. vehicle. They're two separate things. And, and, and probably in many cases it's that admin cost that is going to vary greatly depending on which choice you make in terms of which brand, which platform you choose, and could vary greatly depending on the amount you have invested. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. again, um, you know, it's important to be really transparent with our audience and say when you have a lower balance, they're probably going to charge you a bit more. Like that's true. You know, yeah. as your balance grows for a lot of these platforms, the tiers get lower as your balance grows. But and, and the thing, aware I, of that. I think the thing to be aware of is that um, – if particularly if you're going to go into what Jen was talking about uh, earlier with what we call passive investing, that's where you're really saying, I'm just going to allocate, put my money in and they're going to allocate it in the way that they've agreed to allocate it into shares and all sorts of things. 
they've got to get paid for doing that work. Um, there's probably, and it's generally a percentage mm-hmm. of your balance. Mm-hmm. So I, I just say to people, think of it in in terms of what per- return you're hoping to get. So if they're wanting to charge you 1% or something yeah. and you're th- hoping to get a return of 6 or 7%, understand that, that that's, the you know, that's one, yeah, yeah. one divided by seven. That's really how much of the pie you're giving them. So let's think of it, and, and this is the real thing. I've had this conversation 900 times of what am I actually paying for? Why am I paying an admin fee or a platform fee? Why am I paying a management fee? And as you said, so you've just discussed management fees. So we are literally paying for these incredible fund managers and and, and analysts. Well, that was a tongue tie. And analysts, <laughs> you know, incredibly educated people whose job yeah. it is is to wake up every day and pay attention to what's going on and make decisions appropriately to analyze the ins and outs of these businesses and these asset classes in the market. That's their job. So that's the investment fee, the investment management cost. It's something called an MER or an ICR we often see in their nice little lingo for that investment charge. Yeah. An admin fee on the other hand, and this is one that can often come into question, Tim, what am I getting for my admin fee? If you were to hold every little bit that is being held within that platform, now whether that's a variety of ETFs, SMAs, managed funds, direct shares, whatever it might be. Now come End of financial year and the and the almighty tax return time. If you held them all individually, perhaps some of our listeners do, then you know what it's like to compile every bit. Every little of, statement. Yeah. And to analyse yeah. every earning, every cost, every bit of CGT, everything that's affiliated with that. And that's one of the key benefits of investing via a platform. It's that sort of thing that is done for you. Is, is yeah, it, so is, it's a it's consolidated a, report. Totally. Yeah. At the click of a button and, and you've got your report to give your accountant. Yeah, exactly um, right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then I think the – so we've gone through investment purpose. I think that's important considering, considering your emotions and the costs. Uh, now, I just want to touch on risk. Now, we touched on it earlier. Mm. Um and so we might, that's a bit of a broad term. Some mm. people might say, I don't want to take too much risk. Some people say they want to take a lot. I think the important thing to note is there's really every option available. You can take a lot of risk or not much risk and everything in between. Mm. So how do people judge that? Yeah, and I think, look, I, I try to simplify risk as much as I can. And, I, and, and it isn't this simple, but I think it's important, yeah. particularly if you, if you are starting out and trying to do it a little bit on your own, trying to make that risk decision without perhaps the help of someone like a financial advisor who can really kind of elaborate on it. Essentially think of it as how much money am I willing to risk? And, and I want to go on sort of deeper into that. If, I, if I've got $1,000 and I look at that account balance at one stage and it's 500, it's gone from 1,000 to 500, try and picture the emotion in your heart right now. Now, no one is laughing and finding that happy. Like no one loves no. losing a ton of money. But is your feeling, it's okay, I understand that this is cyclical, I understand that it's going to bounce back, you know, this is part of the journey, this is what investment markets are. I know that it was 1200 at one point recently. It's yeah. now, you know, it's part of the journey. Now, or is your emotion, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, oh my God, I'm panicking, I'm, I'm flipping out, I've got to get it out, I've got to withdraw it right now because I've, I've lost so much, I've got to take it out now before I lose any more, <sighs> you know, panic. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving two extremes, obviously. But this is where we start to understand risk certainly risk return are correlated. So the greater risk you're willing to take, the potential for greater returns. So higher, higher amount of money that you're earning, also reflective of a higher amount of loss. So you just have to figure out, again, this all comes back to that goal. And you need to set a realistic goal. We all, we all fundamentally want to make a huge amount of return and we don't want to take any risk. That's what we want, (laughs) right? That That doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. And if anyone ever in this entire world tries to tell you that it does, they're lying to you and it's a scam. It doesn't exist. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't exist. So So then we have to correlate with our investment choices, Tim. You know, then we have to correlate that risk with how we're choosing what we're invested in. So I think one of the things I just wanted to mention there, when you say about losing money, 
going back to what we were talking about before, it's just that the money, the, the investment that you're in is worth less. Mm. You haven't actually... We haven't lost anything until you take it out. Money <laughs> that's, until you take it out. It's still on that elevator mm. where it could could appreciate in value again and you awesome. and yeah. and it could be worth every every cent that you ever put in it again. So And more. The expect and more. The expectation is if you stay consistent that that will sort itself out. That's just a downturn. Um one of the things I think is important just to understand about risk, there's there's types of assets which are considered Correct defensive sort of assets they're things like fixed you mentioned income. fixed income yep. so they're a bit like trade uh, I always say they're a bit like turn deposits aren't they for, for the average person in that they they get an interest Pay. income yep. generally yep. that's um, less volatile yep. than um, something like a share market yep. so it, it really comes down to things like shares and property, which are considered those riskier investments and things like fixed income, which are considered the safer investments. How much am I going to put in each of those pots? That's exactly right. So in in our world, we we, um, generally define everything in two categories, defensive and growth. Defensive being income generating and something there to to cushion against some of the blows that happen in the market, some of that ups and downs. Yeah. And then we have growth, and if you think just fundamentally, they are there to grow your money. That's what we want to invest in when we really want to make some cash, you know, yeah. gr- grow our pool. Now, fundamentally, Tim, the thing that's most important to remember, you've said it, I said it in this chat, the only thing that we know about markets is that they go up when they go down, and they will keep going up and they will keep going down. They, they are cyclical. Things happen. They go round and round and round in circles. We know that that's going to happen. But whether you're invested in that defensive or that growth and what the percentage exposure to each is fundamentally important. Now, if if we sort of, I guess, hone into that a little bit further, this is the true, I guess, underpin of what a lot of us believe in terms of investment strategy, and that's diversification. That's the old term of don't have all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. If if I had, you know, $10,000, and I invested it all into shares and all into the banking sector. You know, so I'm, I'm going to go my top four. I'm CBA, NAB, Westpac, ANZ. You know, there I am. Now, I don't think it would, I'm sure all of our beautifully educated listeners would understand that when one of those goes down, highly likely all That's of them right. are going to go down. Well, when I think they we've go, seen go up, that a lot, haven't we, with uh, probably a few years ago, the, the mining was booming. Absolutely. And a lot of people just said, oh, I'm just going to put money into mining because mm. that's going so well. All of the mining, <laughs> yeah. That just means that you're not, you haven't got your money in other aspects of mm. the economy. So yeah. if mining doesn't go well, you're not going well, even that's though exactly everywhere right. else might be booming. So, right. so it's again, just... I think we would both, Jen, wouldn't we agree mm. that I, I like the idea of having um, money parked in all aspects of the economy Totally. Um, highly diversified, as we call it. Yeah, exactly and, right. And just growing as as things grow overall. So, so risk. We're doing such a such a, a high level version of this. We could talk yeah, for hours, right. but risk is a really big factor. And and again, if we go back to what you're talking about, diversification is is a is a brilliant starting point for any of our investors listening. If you can look at your allocation, have a little bit in in shares. We call that equities, by the way. Often I see, see that getting a bit confused. Equity market, share market, same thing. You got a little bit of property, you got a little bit of fixed income, and or other defensive assets, and all of a sudden you've got a really beautiful portfolio. Yeah. That's going to move with that market, right? That's going to move. Yeah. It's going to have highs and lows, but it's going to get you to a great place in the end. That's a great wrap-up there, Jen. I've loved the way we've talked through all of those aspects of if you just wanted to get started in investing, the things that you need to consider plus the types of things that are out there for people just to get started. Love it. Is there anything else you'd love to just sort of add there? Well, I, I think, um, you know me, Tim, my God, this is certainly my passion area, so we could probably do a nine-part series and I'd still be waffling. But fundamentally... If you would like to invest, just do it. Just do yeah, it. Just make the decision, get started. 
just just do it. Do some research and yeah. give it a go. The thing is, it's just like saving, consistent, being consistent, yeah. having a clear plan at the start and being consistent. There's no substitute for it. And you'll be really surprised at how consistent and good the results can be. And just, and, and I think again, every little bit counts. You know, the yeah. same philosophy applies to my other passion field being superannuation. You know, just every little bit counts. You don't have to think I've got to wait until I've got this huge sum of money before I can do it. Just consistent approach, keeping it in there, time in the market, not timing the market. Tim, we always say, don't try and <laughs> yeah. guess when to go in and out. Don't try and predict what's going to happen. Just get your money in there with the right risk parameters. That's my other yeah. thing, Tim. You know, conservative little old me. Don't yeah. don't go and invest in something that's going to give you epic returns if it's going to scare you. Yeah, be safe. that's right. You know, be safe. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. The information in this podcast is of a general nature and does not take into account your own financial objectives, circumstances and needs. You should consider your own personal situation and requirements before making any decision. If you have any concerns or questions, please contact me. I really hope you enjoyed that chat with Jen and just breaking down some of those elements of investing, demystifying it uh, is really important. Jen, I really loved the comment that she made is, you know, once you've considered these all these options, uh, just do it, just get involved. And and maybe that doesn't mean, you know, leap in with big amounts, but just start to get a feel for it and you'll be really surprised at the, at, at the results. I had to laugh uh, because Jen and I recorded this last week and no matter, only a couple of days later in my Outlook came an email from the Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape, who just happened to be talking about this exact topic. And as he quoted, according to the ASX, 900,000 new entrants will open an account next year. And he had his tips as well on some of the things that he recommends. And they were pretty much the same things that Jen and I talked about. So we thought that was pretty good. I'm going to put a link to that email in the show notes to this podcast. And the other thing I am going to put in there for you as well is the government website, MoneySmart, uh, moneysmart.gov.au. They've got a fantastic page called Choose Your Investments. It's a great checklist to run through. And I encourage you, if you're thinking about doing this and you want more resources, that's a great place to start. We'll have a link to that page in the show notes too. And if you're ever wanting any questions answered, don't ever hesitate to reach out to us at tgigpodcast.com.au. You can ask a question there or contact us directly at aspireplanning.com.au. That's the end of another show. Remember, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. See you later.